You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Well, I'm excited that you're here again. You know, like Katie said, if uh, if you go on thebannerchurch.com, you're going to end up in some, I think, uh, non-denominational church in Alabama. So go to the Banner Church. I don't know if they take that personally that we chose to be the Banner Church, but uh, that's what we could find for domain. So go to the Banner Church last Christmas. All our information is about, is on there. Um, if you're looking to get connected, there's resources on there. If you're looking to be generous, there's resources on there. Whatever you're looking for this holiday. Uh, when it comes to kind of what's going on as a church, all that info is on there. And then um, starting Monday, we'll have a sign up for that event Katie talked about. But yeah, we're at the end of Thanksgiving week. Y'all made it. You feel good that you made, you made it through Thanksgiving? Some of you are like, we made it. Um, what I noticed about this point of the season is everyone has moved on from Thanksgiving. Like Thanksgiving ends with the most abrupt, like, heart shift that ever occurred. Like, people, Thanksgiving is like this unwelcome house guest. They're like, go, go. Like, we got to get, we got to get ready for Christmas, right? And and what's interesting is I, I feel like even though it's Sunday, Thanksgiving feels like it was so long ago. Like, it was just a couple of days, and yet Thanksgiving is like a whole nother world. Like, it might as well have been a year ago, because like emotionally, we've all kind of shifted, all kind of moved on. I heard someone say, Thanksgiving is kind of like John the Baptist. It's just declaring the way for something greater. Uh, and, and I think that's kind of the way we think about Thanksgiving, is it's interesting like how seasons go. In October, everybody gets worked up for Halloween, good or bad, depending on who you are. In, in uh in November, people used to get worked up for um, Thanksgiving, and then December they get, you know, all excited for Christmas. But now Thanksgiving, like, it, it gets skipped, right? Like, we kind of skip Thanksgiving uh, emotionally. And what's interesting is, like, I, I actually love Thanksgiving. I really enjoy Thanksgiving as, as a holiday. I think it's important. And it's interesting. I was talking, I don't know if you guys knew this, but we have a resident historian in Jamin Metcalf, where is you see in the back? And Jamin was telling me all this incredible historical information about Thanksgiving because we both share a love of Thanksgiving together, Jamin. Thank you. And not just because Matt Yamanuha cooked like two of the most insane turkeys I've ever eaten in my life, but because uh, we like it. And it's interesting, Jamin was sharing me that uh, there was the first Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving really only got recognized as an official day. Just yell from the back if I get this wrong, Jamin, okay? Pause the recording and yell at me. Uh, but it was only recognized as an official day in the United uh, the Thanksgiving in America. Uh, it was recognized as an official day of prayer and thanks right after the Bill of Rights was signed. And it was recognized by George Washington. And so they made it this important day. And so it was, um, it was really just individual states that would recognize it, and they would have their own day of prayer and thanks. There wasn't like one day. And then uh, Abraham Lincoln, at the end of the Civil War, made it a national holiday, made it a specific day of remembrance. And so at the end of the Civil War, if you guys, rem- if you guys remember your history, the Civil War is like one of the bloodiest, deadliest conflicts in our, in our history as a nation, brother fighting brother, huge conflicts, right, obviously. A- at the end of this, they said, we need to have a day where we stop, where we remember God, where we thank him for preserving this nation that was trying to rip itself apart, 
And we pray and we seek the Lord together. And so they made this official day and it went, but it kind of, you know, fell out uh, a favor a little bit. But it came again with FDR in World War II is that uh, they, they said at the end of World War II, Thanksgiving became a big thing again. Because again, after a major conflict, after a major struggle, after a major thing that happened, they're like, we need a day where we pray and give thanks. And so Thanksgiving, I, I, I've always valued Regardless of, of kind of the first Thanksgiving, I've always really regarded it as a day where we, as naturally selfish people and inward-focused people, take a chance to be thankful people. And I love that the day wasn't founded like in, in like after a really peaceful time. It was founded after a really in-depth conflict with a lot of hurt and pain, a lot of things going on. And people were like, we're, we're really in this now. We're suffering the damages of, of the brutality of life. So we need to stop and we need to have a day of prayer and a day of thanks. So I've always really valued it, but I feel like Thanksgiving gets robbed. See, in my house, um, my dad is... And he's loosening up. I think the granddaughter always watching Christmas movies has to do with this. But my dad was like a Thanksgiving purist. There is not a Christmas light that touches the earth of our home until the day after Thanksgiving. Maybe the afternoon of it. Oh, wow. Y'all, let's not divide the church. Let's just let's stay unified. Let's stay unified. I would have put Christmas lights up, but I couldn't find them, and I was too busy, so I didn't care. Um, <laughs> ho, ho, ho. No, uh, but we were like a purist in my house, and, and it was like, no Christmas music, no nothing. Now, um, my wife, on the other hand, and now consequently my daughter, is like a Christmas all the time person. If you could wear a Christmas sweater year-round and listen to Christmas music year-round, my wife would do that. So in my home, it was like nothing. And in your home, it's, it's very festive in that way. And, and I'm not saying, like, I'm the Grinch. I, I'm not saying, like, I don't like Christmas. I love Christmas. I love, you know, festivities. But there was kind of like a season for everything. But I feel like now Thanksgiving has totally changed, right? People are skipping Thanksgiving dinner to go out and beat each other up at Walmart, Right? We're like, ah, I got I to gotta bulk up so I can go beat this guy up over a plasma TV in about two hours. Hurry it up, Grandma, because we got to get out of here. Roast that turkey. Let's go. Like, this conflict is not going to erupt by itself. I have to be the catalyst at Target. Right? It's changing, right? There's going to get to a point where my daughter, I'm going to be like, all right, Lucy, we're, it's 4th of July. I'm going to be like, don't shoot the fireworks too high. You're going to hit Santa's sleigh. Right? It's just going to get so carried away. Like, happy Independence Day and Merry Christmas. Right? Because, because we're jumping, and I like it, but what's happened is we've blended all of this stuff into a thing we now call the holidays, right? We've blended it all into the holidays. We, we, you know, we, we're going out, it's 110 degrees, and we're trying to, we're just like sweating it out in our Christmas sweater, trying to make it work, and we're just blending one mishmash of holidays because we believe that there's just something about the holidays that's finally going to make us happy, it's finally going to make us content. And so we have all of these ideas uh, about it. But, and, and trust me, I love to celebrate. I, I love to, to have people over our house. I love, like, our house around the holidays because it's just, like, this awesome just gathering of people. They're like, oh, I don't know where to go. I'm like, you're coming here. You're hanging out with us, right? I, I love the holidays. I love being festive. But I think this, the holidays, has a darker side, have you heard of the term Christmas blues? Has anyone heard of that? What about the Christmas letdown? What about the Christmas hangover? Not after the work party. I'm talking like the seasonal Christmas hangover. Y'all heard of that? 
there's these terms that we now use about Christmas that, and, and they study them. Like literally like people study this phenomenon that money goes to studying this, which is just crazy, is that it's like after all the gifts, after the things, after all this, um, good or bad, however your season went, there's like this letdown, this hangover after the season. It's kind of like, is that it? Like we literally prepped and prepared and ready to Christmas for six and a half months, and that's it? And there's this kind of this letdown, but I'll tell you uh, what it really is. I'm going to break down millions of dollars of sociological effort and research together. This is what happened when expectation hits reality, right? The Christmas hangover is what happens when expectation hits reality, and, it, and it's this, is that we watch shows and movies. I love Christmas movies, but I, my, and, I, and I love my life, and I think I live a good life, but my life, even as, as much as I love it, doesn't even look like Christmas movies, Right? Like nothing looks like Christmas movies, except maybe the ones that are chaotic and Arnold Schwarzenegger's running through the mall. Like nothing looks like that. Right? And so we watch shows, we read cards, we read books, we sing songs about it, we have ideas about the holiday should look, right? The season's got to look a certain way. My favorite one is the weather's got to look a certain way. There's just people, I just I can't celebrate Christmas unless it's this temperature, right? And if not, I'm just, I'm, I can't be satisfied. You will not satisfy me. Right? The family has to look and act just like the pictures. Right? Good luck. <laughs> right? Food has to be just like the pictures. So mom's going to have a nervous breakdown or dad or whoever's cooking, grandma, uncle. If it's just a little dry, then it's like, oh, my gosh, everything. Why is it doing this? Right? Everything has to be perfect. You got to get the right gift. And if you can't afford to get the right gift, then you feel like, ah, it's not going to be perfect. Right? Because there's a tension in the holidays. And the truth is that if our lives do not meet up with the expectation of this emotional season we've created called the holidays, all of a sudden we get in this deep, dark reality. And we, and, we, and we get low because the holidays are meant to bring to get people together. And sometimes they bring them together like uh, gas and fire come together just to create an explosion. Like, we're all together. Let's fight. You know? sometimes, that's, sometimes it's about generosity. Sometimes you hear about the, the, the cool things that we're doing in outreaches, and you're like, you know, financially, we can't do that this year. So it reminds you, and it wells up feelings, right? Sometimes there's that tension that happens in holidays. Christmas is a time to focus on what's important, and yet I know some of y'all <laughs> is that some of you are going to spend all day Christmas Day on Instagram scrolling how other people are pretending to live Christmas rather than living it with the people who love you and want to spend time with you. I, I find that, like, why am I on Instagram looking this up? Like, I know what snow looks like, and we don't have it. I know we don't. We're not going to get it. <laughs> you know, like, I just stop living vicariously and just live my life. But there's this idea that comes together is that, that there, there's, a, there's an expectation hitting reality. And because we've mixed this whole holiday season desperate for meaning, we get in this holiday hangover. But why the hangover? And I think the hangover is because we're skipping Thanksgiving. I think it's because we're skipping, not just on the date on the calendar, I think conceptually, philosophically, theologically, we're skipping Thanksgiving. And I think Paul sums it up so well. So open your Bibles. If you brought your Bibles, would you open them up with me? We're going to focus on kind of two verses together. 
The first verse I'm reading is Colossians 2, 16 through 17. Now, this comes from um, where Paul's talking about festivals. And if you have any questions about this, we can talk more. But I'm going I'm to talk about a portion of this because it's important. And uh, it's Colossians 2, 16 through 17. It says this. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Right, see, this is Paul saying, now he's talking to, to, to a group of people that are feeling judged for how they're celebrating or not celebrating and all these kind of things, right? He's speaking in to holiday celebrations and the tension that we feel to live up to expectations. But he's, he's speaking situationally here, and I can describe that another time if you want. But he's saying basically right here is these festivals are great, but they are a shadow of the substance, They are a shadow of the thing to come. They aren't substance. You can't hope in a shadow. You can't hold a shadow. A shadow can't lift you up. These festivals, they're just shadows. And the shadows will never bring what the substance was meant to bring. And I'm not anti-celebration. I, I love the shadow that is festival. I love celebrating. I love, I love doing fun stuff with my daughter. I love going to the train park and, you know, riding the train. And you got the big inflatable elves and it's actually cold. And you're like at night and there's lights. I love that stuff. It's awesome. But it's not substance. It's not real. It can't be everything. The shadow cannot be everything. The joy of life cannot hinge on whether you have it, air quote, together this Christmas or if your life looks like the way the holidays say your life should look. Your your life cannot hinge. Your joy cannot hinge on that. Your peace cannot hinge on that because it's a shadow. There's more. There's so much more to this season. The festival is a shadow, but Jesus is the substance. Are you with me? Are you with me? The festival is a shadow. It's fun. I love it. But, the, but Jesus Christ is the substance. Are you with me? You're with me. You're good. Okay, we're good. We're still friends. I still love Christmas. You still love Christmas. You're kind of starting to like Thanksgiving more, but you're still over it. That's okay. We're, we'll get there. Don't worry. <laughs> we got another two and a half hours of this message, so you're fine. No, <laughs> just joking. So you better be careful. We're all going to be here. No, I got lunch plans. It's fine. <laughs> no, but I get it. As a father, I'm trying to make the holiday count for my daughter, right? Really, like, as when I had kids, I kind of realized how important my actions really were because they had, like, immediate and responsive, like, mirroring consequences of the words I say, the things I do. So I'm trying to make the holidays matter because I like the shadow, but I need the substance. And if the whole time all I teach her is the shadow, she's going to be chasing shadows her whole life. Wondering why she can't find any substance. Why can't she find any substance? I went to church with my parents around Christmas. Why do I not feel whole? Why do I not feel together? Because you're chasing shadows. Maybe I didn't teach you how to chase the right things. So I say, all right, I got to find ways to teach you the substance so that you can rejoice, find shade in the shadow, find peace in it, love it, have fun. But you can grab a hold of the substance. You can hold on to the substance. You can find life in the substance. You can find hope in the substance. See, the festival is a shadow, but Jesus is the the substance. See, how do we do that, though? How do we hold on to that? Look at your neighbor and say, it's almost 2019. Then realize what you just said. (laughs) It's almost 20. I still am writing 2017, guys. (laughs) I got to make the seven 
And then I, then I, when I'm at the end of the seven, I loop back up and connect it to make the eight. You can't go eight to nine. You can't. We're in trouble. Some of you guys, we're in trouble. We're in trouble, aren't we? <laughs> it's almost 2019 that the season just flies by. This holiday season, it just, it goes, and it's already flown by. So how do we get a hold of the substance? How do we avoid the seasonal blues? How do we avoid this holiday hangover? How do we enjoy the fullness of Christmas as much as we can without making it and propping the festival up that we miss the substance? How do we do that? I believe Paul gives us a really good answer, and he gives us a really good key. So I'm going to give you a tool this morning. Are you ready? I'm going to give you a tool this morning. And it comes out of Philippians 4, 4 through 7. So if you were in Colossians in your Bible, just flip back. Like basically kind of a page-ish, depending on how your Bible works. And you're right there at the end of Philippians 4 through 7. And uh, it, the words will be on the screen. I'm going to read this to you. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. It says, the Lord is at hand, so do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a pretty, that's, that's a lot right there in that scripture. It says, do not be anxious about anything. That's quite, a, that's quite a command given everything I've just listed and giving, you know, our life situations and family and all these things. Do not be, you ever read a verse and you think, I should probably reread that and see if maybe that was just contextual. <laughs> maybe he's saying the church in Philippi shouldn't be, no, he says, he says don't be anxious about anything. I wonder if he knows my situation. He probably doesn't know me. So for everyone else, don't be anxious about anything. But for me, I'm going to get a little anxiety because he doesn't know no, that is what that says. Don't be anxious about anything. Does anyone ever wrestle with the Bible a little bit? And you're reading it, and you're like, oh, man, God, you're being too real in my life. Because you're saying, do not be anxious about anything. That's such a command, because surely there is enough probably this morning to make you a little anxious, right? There's enough in the past 20 minutes. You might have got a text in church, and you were like, I know, I was going to be looking at my phone. I was on the Bible app. I got a text just to make you anxious that me talking this fast makes you anxious. <laughs> There's a lot to be anxious about. But he says, do not be anxious about anything. How do we do that? Here, let's keep going because it's good. He explains. He says, but in everything, in some things, nope, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. This is cool. How do we not be anxious about anything? Is that in everything we come to the Lord in prayer. How do we not be anxious about anything is that nothing is off limits in everything we bring before him. Follow me here. He, he says prayer and supplication. Prayer is a, is a broader term to define communication with God. Supplication is a more defined term to trying to, to say, talk about directly asking God for something, making a request to come before him, to, 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 to desire, to seek the Lord. Did you know that one of the greatest gifts you've been given, you might feel like you got the raw, worst, 
most broken uh, opportunity in life, but you were given a gift by the Lord that's one of the greatest gifts you can receive is that you are able to communicate, to talk to, and be heard by an almighty and all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present and all-loving God. Did you know that? That is a gift. That is a blessing. We're told not be anxious about anything, but in everything to come to prayer. That means that prayer is constant. That means that prayer is ongoing. That means that prayer is bringing everything, my victory, my losses, my frustrations, my sadness, right? In your victory, come to God and celebrate. In your deepest, darkest moment, come to the Lord and seek help. On your way home, talk with him. On your way, bring everything to him. You're the wholeness of everything. The way that you are not anxious and not covered with anxiety is that you begin to give everything to him. You begin to bring everything to him. And when you bring everything to him, you have the blessing of knowing that, that he's not high up in a way, that he's not gone, that he's not far, that eventually the incense of your sacrifice will make it. But he's with you, that he wants to communicate with you. He desires to commune with you. Did you know that God created mankind and subsequently you because he desired to have communion with you? You're not just something running around the earth that he randomly decided. He was like, all right, do I save coyotes or mankind? Like, ah, all right, fine, mankind. Right? There wasn't a toss-up between you and the apes. It's you. He loves you. He created you to commune with you. And then what he did is he gave you the key and the access to commune with him. He wants to be, desires to be in communion with him. See, our prayer life was never meant to just hinge on large, sacred moments, but a sacrificial life of constantly communicating with the Most High God. Are you still with me this morning? Anything and everything, bring your request to God. Anything and everything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, bring your request to God. So much of our anxiety of life is wrapped up on holding what we should be releasing to God. And I'm not minimizing anxiety. I'm maximizing God and saying, your anxiety is great. I meet with people all the time who are anxious. I was just talking with Terry about a conference that was done in the Valley, specifically focusing on anxiety. Because more and more every day, anxiety, 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 anxiety. I talk to college kids, 80-year-olds. It doesn't matter. Y'all are dealing, we're all dealing with anxiety right? Anxiety is everywhere. So I'm not minimizing it, but I'm maximizing God to see God is great and he's given you a great tool, a great access, a great ability, a great connection to him through prayer, that he's with you, he loves you. I love that Paul adds this word in seeking him. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, which we just talked about, with thanksgiving, did you know Paul was writing the book of Philippians in prison? My favorite thing about, about this book is, it, is like he's in prison and he's writing this book that they call like a joyful book, right? Like this is a, this is a joyful book. If you go back, he starts off with thanksgiving and prayer in prison. Like in, not in like a holding, like in, in prison. He's writing a book about joy. Like what on earth? 
Like he should be writing a book on like crying for help, you know. But he's writing a book on joy. He's writing a book on thanksgiving. He's in shackles. He's in chains. And yet here's Paul living out Psalm 104, which says, "Enter his courts with his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise." He's worshiping in prison. Paul has literally been freed because as he's worshiping and praising and giving thanksgiving, the shackles fall off and the door is open. Paul is like this crazy dichotomy. When you read it, you're like, "Oh man, come on!" Should have set the bar a little lower for us. Right? Because he's in prison and he's thanking and he's praising. But Paul is living the example, which is good because we're seeing him say it and live it simultaneously, right? Is he's living Thanksgiving. And here's what happens Thanksgiving adjusts the posture of our heart. Thanksgiving adjusts the posture of our heart. See, bringing our prayers with Thanksgiving is, is unique because it not only recognizes what God has done for us, but it also recognizes who God is, right? It recognizes both of these really crucial things in our life because it gives power and authority and understanding. Coming with thanksgiving says, God, I I recognize who you are, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, and I also recognize what you've done for me. And I'm not talking about just like, oh, you gave me this or this or this, you provided. I'm talking salvation, Jesus Christ, that, that I was a sinner, that I had a debt that was unpayable. And regardless of what my, what my life looks like on earth, I know that I was a sinner and broken and that I needed a Savior and that, God, you sent a Savior. So when I come with Thanksgiving, I recognize not only who God is, but what he's done, that he dwells with me right here, that he sent his spirit right here. And there's this recognition and gratitude. We prayed in a spirit of gratitude this morning, praying and believing that God would move. And what it does is it begins to take our heart, and it begins to position us and put us in alignment with God. It Thanksgiving, it adjusts the posture of our heart. It takes it off of us. It focuses on who he is. And when we take it off of us, we take our eyes off of our power, and we put our eyes on his power, our ability his ability, our situation, his strength. We begin to readjust the posture of our heart. We begin to readjust our focus. It's like a chiropractor for your soul. They're just popping it back in, getting it into alignment. You're all like through your life, you're all kind of messed up, and and he's just going to straighten it out and put it in the right posture because Thanksgiving does that. It's interesting when, we, when I look on Instagram on Thanksgiving, I, I can tell what people are into. You know, they're into their family, they're into their life, they're into a situation. You know, I'm just, I'm so thankful for this person or this person. You know, I post about my wife, you know. And, but Thanksgiving in this setting is not just listing off a bunch of hashtags, right? It's not like hashtag blessed husband, right? It's, it's not this stuff. It's not this kind of like false hype narrative. That's almost the complete opposite, right? Thanksgiving is coming to God, bringing our request and rejoicing in the fact that no matter how big, no matter how small, no matter how massive and overwhelming, we serve a God who is so great and so mighty and so all-powerful and yet saw us, knew us, loved us, and sent his son and now dwells with us. Right, that we go into prayer, not crawling on our knees like beggars, not coming before him like, oh man, I hope he hears me. I hope that we come in as the sons and daughters of God, fellow heirs with Christ. Think about that phrase for a second. We come in before the Lord with an authority, not by us, but from him. And so when we come in with thanksgiving, we align with that, with who God is. We, we reposition the posture of our heart and we say, God, I, I come before you. And God, I say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and died for me. Thank 
Thank you, God, that you're a good God. Thank you that you're faithful. Thank you that though I feel forsaken, I know you will never forsake me. And so I come before you and I walk into that with thanksgiving. And I understand what it means to be thankful for who you are and what you've done. And now I, I lay my request. I give up control to you. I give up my heart to you. And I have access to you. And I just say, thank you, God, that I can even come pray to you. Because I used to do this alone. And now I do this with you. And you're good. And you're trustworthy. And as you begin to be thankful, God repositions your heart in gratitude and thanksgiving. Are you with me this morning? And what happens, here's what happens. Here's what Paul says. This is a great line. 4-7. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. The peace of God. Not the peace from God. The peace of God. Who he is. Did you know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? Did you know that? Did you know when they prophesied about Jesus? This is what they said, Isaiah 9, 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Promise the peace of God will guard their heart. You know what's happening it says, the prince, it says the peace of God will guard your mind and your heart. If you lose your peace, you will lose your mind. See, we live in a world where no one has peace of mind because we haven't received the peace of God. If you don't have the peace of God, you're only going to have temporary peace of mind. And so people all over are losing their minds and losing the strength of their heart and the peace in their being. And they're struggling with identity. And we wrestle and we wrestle and we try to make it work. So if we could just buy enough presents, if we just make it work, if this family member could just get it together, if I could just fix them this season, then it would work. Then it would get together. Then we would have peace. Then everything would be like it used to. Then everything should be like it should. And we're just driving ourselves crazy. Because we don't have the peace of God, we will not get the peace of mind, the peace of heart. If you want peace of mind this holiday season, you better get the peace of God. Because that's where it comes from. It says the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. The peace of God will guard. That's a military term. It means to encamp around to protect. Who guards the peace of my heart? Me with my strength and my feelings. I eat some bad pizza the night before. I wake up the next day I'm feeling a little emotional, Right? <laughs> your, your feelings are crazy. If you study feelings, trust me. If you think, no, man, I've been, I know, I know, I'm not, no, trust me. You eat some weird Chinese food, you wake up the next day, you're like randomly angry. It's science. <laughs> you don't believe me. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but here's what's important. The peace of God, the peace that comes from God, God never changes. He never, he never alters. He never forsakes the peace of God. And it says, when we come before him with thanksgiving, he gives us the peace of God. Almighty God, who dwells within us, gives us the peace of mind and heart. This, uh, this week, I'm going to put up a Christmas tree. I promise. <laughs> it depends on how many meetings I got. <laughs> I'm going to put up some Christmas lights. I'm going to do all kinds of things this week. I'm going to do all kinds of festive stuff. Why not, right, babe? Let's do it. I'm going to invite the band up. And there's lots of things I love about the festive holidays. There's lots of things I love uh, about this season. There's lots of things I love about Christmas. There's things I love about Thanksgiving. But all of these things, no matter how legit my light structure is, 
It can satisfy me, and I'll be like, that's nice, I like that, but it will not satisfy my soul, and it certainly will not give me peace of mind and heart. If I lose my peace, I'll lose my mind. So I need to find the peace of God to find the peace of my heart. And I'll do all these things, but there's still shadows, right? Like we said, I'll put up the lights, I'll put up the things, I'll put up the tree, I'll, I'll get people together, I'll try to get, so you're like, man, maybe this Christmas I can just get everyone in the church to be nice to each other. Like, let's see, you know. <laughs> We can, like, work it all, make it happen. It's fun, and all the festive things. We'll do the block party. That's going to be awesome. I'm so excited for that. We did the Chi Alpha thing. That was a blast. Everyone that came and served, that was just so cool. We'll do all these things, but, but, but they're the shadow. I want the substance. I want the substance. We're going to talk Advent here this month. I want the substance. I want the gift of Christmas. I want the real thing. I don't just want the shadow. I want the real thing. And so Paul is saying, stop reaching for the shadow and start reaching for the substance. Stop reaching for what will not sustain and reach for what will sustain. Stop reaching for what will not bring you peace and reach for what will bring you peace. Because you know what? You got access. You got access. You're not waiting for the key to undo the lock. It's not storage wars. We're not all standing around hoping that someone's going to pop a door and then we'll all bid on who gets the peace this year. You have access. You got the key. Prayer gives you access to the peace of God. Did you hear the formula? Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And what? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. No dinner, no family member, no announcement, no structure, no system, no lights is going to bring it. This, this season is going to give you meaning. But if we stop skipping thanksgiving... If we stop skipping Thanksgiving, if we say, you know what, I'm coming before the Lord with prayer and supplication, with Thanksgiving. If we adjust the posture of our hearts, if we cultivate a spirit of Thanksgiving, if we come before the Lord and we say, thank you, God, that you loved me enough to send your son. Thank you, Jesus. Never just, man. Those moments, you know, it just hits you just like, man, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, that you sent your son for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Worthy are you. Holy are you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you that you see me and you know me, that you see all and you know all, and yet you take, you also see and know me intimately. There's an intimacy. Thank you that you not only give me the gift of peace on this earth, but the eternal gift of salvation. That you get something eternal. The greatest gift is the eternity of your soul. Not only the peace on this earth, but eternity. We just say thank you, God. And we bring that heart before the Lord. We allow him to bring the peace of God over our life and to feel it rest upon us, to reside with us. That as God is in us, he brings that peace in. It's who he is, the peace of God. It's who he is. God is peace, the prince of peace. And we grab a hold of that and we say, okay, God, I'm grabbing a hold of substance. I'm not chasing the shadows. I'm coming before you with prayer and thanksgiving. Grabbing a hold of who you are. I want that peace this season. I don't want a shadow. I want peace. I want a shadow. I want peace. Would you stand with me this morning?
one of the ways that we uh, grab a hold of substance is by taking communion. One of the ways that we grab a hold of substance is by taking communion. I love communion because it does this. It puts us in a posture of gratitude because when you hold the cup, when you hold the bread, you're like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Right? It, it positions our heart. And also it brings an openness because as we, before we take communion, what we like to do is say, God, is my heart in the right posture? Is there anything in my heart that I've allowed in that I've not laid down that I need to lay down before I take communion? So it allows this moment of connection and communion. And then what happens is in recognition and thanksgiving, it realigns our heart. We begin to say, man, I serve a big God who defeated death, hell, and the grave. And you know what? God, I trust you. I give it to you today. It's overwhelming for me, but I give it to you. The health in my body is overwhelming for me, but I give it to you because I just remembered what your son did on the cross. God, my family is overwhelming to me, but it's not bigger than you. So I give it to you because I remember what you did on the cross. God, the dream in my heart that we talked about in the Dreamer series, it's overwhelming for me, but it's not too big for you. And so since we just remembered your son, I give it to you. The ushers are going to begin to hand out these little communion cups. They look like creamers. The top part is uh, bread. The bottom part is grape juice. And uh, we're going to receive of communion together. I'm going to read you a scripture as those are passed out. It's 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. It says this. We'll receive them together in a second. You can, you can crack them, unwrap them, do your thing as they come around. 11, 23. The book of 1 Corinthians, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, can I also have one of those? Thank you. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'll take a second to open this. If you want to open yours, open it. We'll receive in just a moment together. grab a hold of this uh, wafer here. It stands for the body, the body that was broken. And it says this, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we receive of this body because we remember together the body of Christ that was broken. This is substance. The body is substance. Jesus really came. He really died. He really rose again. His body was really broken. His body was really beaten. His body was really crucified. He really went to the cross for you and I. And he went because he wanted to rip that curtain apart and give you access, to give you access to the peace. You don't got to bring a sacrifice. You just got to bring your heart. And so we remember his body, the body of Jesus that was broken, his mother that held to his feet, that wept over him, his disciples that cried and were broken and fled, and yet the broken body was not the end of the story. But we remember the sacrifice that he paid, he paid for us. Let's receive the body together. The second thing is the blood. 
I'm excited. In the new year, we're going to do a series on Exodus. We're going to talk about uh, the original Passover. We're going to talk about uh, Israel. We're going to talk about, you know, all of this. And I think it'll give even deeper meaning to this moment here. But the blood historically stood for sacrifice. And so when Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, what he's saying is, I'm about to shed blood as a sacrifice for you because you got a debt to pay and you can't pay it. And I love you so much that I will endure the scorn and shame and I will go to the grave, go to the cross, go to the grave, be resurrected again for you to pay the price. And so as you look at this tiny little teeny cup of juice, what it's supposed to impress upon you is the idea that you're holding something of substance in Jesus Christ who loves you so deeply. You don't got to chase that love. You don't got to earn that love. You don't got to do the right sacrifices to get it. He's indwelt with you. And so when we receive that together, we receive of the blood of Jesus that was shed for you, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's receive of the blood together. I'm going to pray over you, and our band's going to sing this song. And here's all I want you to do in this moment is I, I want to give you just, just a brief moment, two minutes here, just to get a hold of some substance, to stay in this moment of worship, to stay in this moment of recognition of Jesus Christ, and just to worship him and come with thankfulness and say, God, would you just begin? to bring the peace of God into my heart, into my life. Would you begin to bring that? He gave you the tool. It's prayer. But I want to pray for you. And then our band's going to play. Um, not for a minute was I forsaken. Love it. Great. I want to pray for you this morning. Lord God, I just thank you. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your son. I thank you, God, that Jesus Christ died for every person in here. And when we take this cup, we remember that we have an eternal blessing to be thankful for. God, that you dwell with us, that we don't got to go into some special place, do some special right, have some special thing, but you're with us that you sent your Holy Spirit, God, that you care for us so much to send your Son. And so, God, we read this scripture where you promise your peace, the peace of God, to reign and guard over our hearts and mind, God. And we desire peace of mind and peace of heart this season. So we just worship you, and we say, God, as we declare your goodness, as we declare your faithfulness, Lord, I pray that this morning, hearts in this place would begin to feel the peace of God residing over them, residing.